Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. This day last week, the Second Captain's podcast witnessed an act of physical bravery and sheer bloody-mindedness when Ken Erty battled through two broken ribs to produce 30 minutes of broadcasting from his sick bed at home. Now, just one week on, he completes his Denise O'Sullivan-like recovery to make it back into studio for the first time since the injury. Should we really be forcing him to work at all in his current condition? Probably not, but I was away last week. Murph's away for a few days this week. The World Cup starts on Thursday, so needs must. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Not too bad. Good to be back with you. Good to, how, good how you to see you. You're looking you fresh. Up, feel pretty fresh. Yeah, you moved up those stairs reasonably well, I must say. Well, it's, I my, watched ribs, you. it's my ribs and my legs. So I know, but the way you were talking, it seemed like the slightest possible movement was causing you a lot of pain last Monday. But by Friday, it appeared, because I have been listening back to your podcast, you appeared oh, to yeah? be much better, much better fettle, I have to say. How are you feeling now? Good. It's a bit, bit clicky, you know. <laughs> clicky, but clicky. Uh, you know, your ribcage clicks when you breathe in extra deep or whatever. Yeah, it's not nice. I'm sure it's fine. Mm. I'm sure it'll. That sounds absolutely as the doctors told you, Ken. It'll. There's not much they can do. Yeah, this will mend itself. Just don't laugh too much. I would. I would have thought laughing and coughing, sneezing also okay. very bad. Yeah, but I'll try not to be too hilarious then, Ken. Yeah, regale you with tales of my my holidays. Well, go on. Oh, and tell us. Well, Ken, it? we're at the height of summer <laughs> sport right now. <laughs> The World Cup's about to start. It's an epic Wimbledon final on yesterday. Oh, unbelievable. We'll talk a bit about that later. Rory McIlroy back winning golf tournaments just in time for the British Open. It's going to be Kerry versus Dublin in the All-Ireland Football Final. Kilkenny versus Limerick this coming Sunday in the Hurling. And the Tour de France is into its final week. I was lucky enough to attend a stage of Le Tour. As oh, I, really? As they call it over there, Ken. How was it? Of while I was in France. Which stage? Stage eight from Libourne to Limoges. And is that a uh, sprint stage or a mountain stage? A, a little bit. Trial? It's described as a, not a time trial, no, it was described as a hilly stage. So uh, effectively a stage for the sprinters, but with enough hills that there was the potential for the sprinters not to come to the fore, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they obviously wanted to get away and do their thing. I'll tell you what happened then in the end. Well, I'll, will, I, will I give you the setup? Will I tell you where I was? Yeah. So I booked a campsite along the route, which, mm-hmm. you know, just so happened to be 
advertising itself as having the Tour de France going outside its doors. So yeah. I knew that was going to be happening. Now, this campsite also somewhat failed to deliver on some of its other promises on its website. So, what were the promises? Well, just, you know, heated pool and stuff. I mean, I don't want to say complete. <laughs> heated, <laughs> heated pool. Well, yeah, it was a cold pool. What can it's I say? A campsite. There was, it's a campsite. There was a nice, it was a pretty fancy campsite, you know. Is it a hotel? No, no, it's a campsite. I mean, like... Well, like it is an, an apartment building. No, they have. I mean, they have structures. We were we, we were in a, a borrowed camper van. You know, that was our yeah. mode of transport. And there were a lot of people in that sort of thing. There there were also you know permanent structures. Camping these days, Ken. A lot of it's not really camping. You know, people yeah. go over to these places and like buy a, like rent a chalet and so forth. Yeah. So anyway, listen. It underdelivered in it elsewhere. Your man did say it, they hand you like a little brochure when you go in, and in the brochure. Nearly the first sentence is, oh, uh, we've been trying to make improvements on, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, inflation. <laughs> it's rare enough you see inflation, <laughs> a rant against inflation made by the owner of a campsite. So, uh, yeah. That, that, so I, I was not 100% confident that the promise of the Tour de France going directly outside was going to come to fruition. But I shouldn't have doubted the man. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, right outside. So went out a few hours before it was all due to happen. Threw down our little uh, folding chairs. Yeah. Know out there with that you may be picturing the mountain stages with all these boozed up young Dutchmen and Belgians yeah. roaring at the cyclists. It was a lot more genteel than that. I was there with quite a few retired British and Dutch couples right. just sitting outside a campsite. The fellow who owned the campsite had beer and food on the go out there. And then you just wait. You wait for a long time, which I was a bit concerned about with a four year old, you know. Just, yeah. Just gonna be sitting there for probably a long intensely time. bored. Or... But yeah, he was all right now. He seemed to be taking it in. He, he was all good. And you see the big thing that happens in advance of the bikes coming along the caravan, as they call it, of, of cars and floats and sponsors cars and all that kind of stuff goes on for like about half an hour. They go first. They go first. So they all come come through. And I mean, it's a serious, way more, way more lively than I expected. There's DJs on these things and yeah. people throwing out merchandise and paraphernalia. Sure, a Century 21 key ring did whack my son on the face as he was on my shoulders <laughs> and practically knock him off me and do a few tears momentarily. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, and I should say, by the way, retired British couples... There's a different, oh, there's a different face to them when there's free merch on the go. Oh really? Oh, this lad who I've been having lovely. They were grabbing with. at the merch. Like grabbing at marbles. the merch. At one stage, this guy's stand, a bit sort of falls between us, and we're both looking at it, and he just sort of puts his foot on it, and he's like, "That's, I think that was mine." Okay. Well, I suppose it is and, now. But it is now, and also I don't need another Century Twenty One key ring because the last one just clocked my son in the head. So you're yeah. welcome to that. So that was all that, and then eventually the cyclists come around. Probably the what, least exciting the, part. Uh, what, what is this? Were you by a flat bit of the road here? Or yeah, by so they had just gone, no, they'd just gone up one of the mountains or one of the mountains that counts towards the scoring for the King of the Mountains yeah. title and so on. So that would have been a few kilometers before. This was after that. There'd been a breakaway from quite early on, a three-man a three man breakaway, which was still well clear at the time. They went past us. So the three lads fly past and then three and a half minutes later, the rest of the peloton goes past. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. That's a, a second group have joined the breakaway or chasing the breakaway group. And now the rest of the peloton will come past. But no, no, that was the peloton. That was the entire just, peloton. Yeah. How quickly so, did it go away? Well, blink of an eye, practically. Well, what, what's the speed? Well, I suppose they're doing like 90 kilometers on the descent side. And I'm doing 70 kilometers or something. 70 kilometers. I yeah. didn't actually clock it. But I was very much in the moment, I must say, because this is good advice to anyone uh, going to sporting events. Well, it's a bit easier when it's Tour de France when it's free but always bring somebody who cares a little less than you so they can take the photographs, oh, yeah. as in the case of my wife, Rebecca, <laughs> leaving me to, to live in the moment. At one stage, she was a bit nervy about standing on the road, edging out a little bit. And I was like, it's fine. I mean, just, they've been cycling for 200 kilometers and nobody's crashed. Yeah. So, you know, they're hardly going to crash on this nondescript bit of road here. 
about five minutes, I was technically correct, but about five minutes later, went back to the camper van to hear the news that Mark Cavendish, the British cycling legend, had yeah. indeed crashed out just a few kilometres down the road, <laughs> broken his collarbone and was out of his final tour de France. It wasn't someone's like um, plastic shopping no. bag handle flailing in the wind. I should have said also, by the way, that caravan of sponsored cars and so forth did include David O'Doherty's Orangina car, which if people are following his social media a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's an actual... That is an actual thing. This is the kind of nonsense that is going past, like a little tiny little Orangina tin can on four wheels ahead of the bikes still faster than a bike well yeah faster when you know they leave at staggered times it's not it's not just every vehicle for itself you know let's see if the cyclists can weave their way past the (laughs) the orangina car but yeah it was good it was very good Uh, the actual bit where the cycling goes past not that exciting but everything else actually kind of magical yeah you know restores your faith in this often maligned sporting event bringing uh france the Netherlands and Britain yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, sounds good. Last right? point about it is Sean Kelly, bloody good commentator, I gotta say, on Eurosport. Because I went and watched the rest of the stage and apparently all day he'd been saying, Yeah, this breakaway is not gonna work. Like they're not gonna. and the other the other commentators were all saying, Oh no, I mean they're still going strong. They might actually stay away from the pack. And Kelly was saying, Yeah, I mean, they're not going They're not gonna they'll do get it. real in his no nonsense kind of way. They'll get reeled in. And of course, eight kilometers from the end, the last of the breakaway Cyclist sits up on his bike, lets the peloton pass, and everybody doffs their cap to Sean. <laughs> you, were, you were right again, Sean Kelly. For the record, Ken, yes. Jonas Vengegaard continues to hold a narrow 10-second lead over Tajeg Pajakar, a name that is, I often find difficult to say. That's actually. not a big lead, is it? No, but he's been holding the same. He had about a minute lead. It's been whittled down, whittled down, but now it's hovering around the same thing, so much so that people are a little bit sceptical. Uh, they're... Apparently, there's a line of questioning going around asking Vingegaard, how do you manage to do this? And he says, that's fine. I'll answer these questions. We have to be skeptical because of what happened in the past. I fully understand all the questions we get. The only thing I can say is I'm not taking anything. To be honest, I'm happy there's a bit of skepticism. We are going faster, quicker than back then, maybe. Also, the food, material, training, everything is different. The food. So, Do you know what's different about the food now? Well, they always say this. Everyone says that about the previous yeah, generation of every sports. Because I remember they them, talk about the. Diet I remember they were talking about the food back back then when they were all doping, which was the actual reason they were going so fast. So, so what's the what's the food update this time? He didn't go into any further detail than that. Yeah. Just he, I, I thought he handled the questions pretty well. Yeah, to be honest okay. with you. So there we are. The, the magic of the Tour de France again. It's I, I felt it. I was part of it. Yeah. For one brief moment or for a number of hours. Got back in time to go to the Dublin Monaghan semi-final on Saturday. A really good game, I thought. I seem to be in the minority judging by some of the conversations I was having with fellow Dublin fans in Mulligans afterwards, many of whom were convinced it was pure shite. The infamous Dublin-Donegal 2011 semi-final was brought up. Did you meet Miguel Delaney? No, but I did meet Maliki Logan, long-time Irish Maliki Logan, oh, yeah. sports editor, who seemed to be the only person who agreed with, well, as, and my friend, was myself, my friend, Maliki Logan, seemed to think that was a really good game. And a lot of other people were telling us it was awful. Uh, Miguel Delaney was there, you know, as a, he was embracing uh, Gaelic games. I'm not sure if I should say, but his verdict, <laughs> which I did ask him for his verdict on yeah. the, the experience, yeah. appalling. <laughs> so <laughs> Appalling. Appalling. Although he did say he went to Coppers afterwards and met Niall Quinn and some Dublin players. Well, I mean, that's peak. That is a peak Dublin 
GA experience. Yeah. That's just amazing stuff there. Still though, didn't really see really, it. It was raining though. I think that's what it was. If the exact same thing had happened <laughs> and it was sunny, everyone would have said, what a lovely day out. Yeah. But when it's raining and you're... It was raining a lot. You're going back into Mulligan's, it's really packed inside. You, you stand outside for a while. It's pissing rain out here, but I'm, I'm going to stand out here and have a pint everyone for a little while like anyway. It's just, nobody's happy. You're just never quite in the same humour when the rain is pissing down and the wind is howling. No doubt about the quality of the second semi-final yesterday, though, a match at Derry. Should have won, but Kerry got it done when it matters. Just, it's a shame they had to resort to the dark arts, though. Hand-passing, Ken. This is, uh, this is regarded as deviant behaviour. Well, it is by the legendary Kerry midfielder Mick O'Connell. I read a Dennis Walsh piece on Saturday talking about the line of great Kerry midfielders. Apparently Mick O'Connell, and we interviewed this man a number of years ago, and he was, even back then, this is about 15 years ago, he was very much, football's gone to the dogs. He's a purist, yeah. a Kerry football purist. And apparently, according to this piece, in a charity match years after he retired, O'Connell refused to accept hand passes on principle. <laughs> so somebody dropping a hand pass. No, won't be picking that ball up. You may kick it 40 yards into my chest. But what's the... And that's it. What's the objection? Like, I mean, sometimes you just want to find a teammate close by who's got a more favourable angle. Okay, and kick and catch. That's the way the Mick O'Connells of this world see it. I don't know what he would have thought of Kerry's goal yesterday, which involved a very slick hand-passing move. Almost all hand-passes. Was it hand-pass into the net? I think it probably was. Or I don't think that should be allowed. But that's not allowed, actually. But I mean punched into the net. Yeah, it shouldn't be allowed either. You think? No, oh, come on. You, as in, you shouldn't be allowed one person to hand-pass it and the other person... Punch it in, no. No, no come on. It's too, it's too easy. This is the whole problem with Gaelic football. I mean, like, everyone can see what the problem is, right? The players are too fit now. And the game isn't asking enough of them. Well, there were technically. two very good games at the weekend, in my opinion. Well, you're, uh, I, I heard all I could see was people moaning and complaining about them. Although it did sound pretty good, especially the Kerry one. Yeah, well, that was pretty. Nobody was complaining about that one. Um, but, like, you know, you, you've got guys who are... I saw one of the... Uh, there was a tweet that was doing the rounds. Uh, one of the Monaghan players... And someone had written, basically, there's lads across the pond on 200 grand a week who couldn't hold a candle to this guy in terms of fitness. Now, I don't know if you've seen the tweet, but you've you've seen, it's an archetypal, you know, it's like, it's one of our national tweets. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it before. (laughs) And uh, I mean, obviously, what it, on one level, it kind of amounts to like, is the rest of this going to be a thread talking about how his life just took the wrong fork? You know, I mean, this guy could be could be on two hundred grand a week, but instead he's losing to Dublin uh, here on this rainy day. No, uh, the point is that these players are too good now. Like, it's the game was never meant to be played by athletes on this level. It's not. It's not meant for that. And now we make an argument about every sport in that regard. Any sport that was set up more than 100 years ago yeah, but I think designed it's designed for the current athlete of the day it's sort of too easy to, to be boring right I mean it's like you know all, all that sort of just passing the ball around in your own half or whatever it's too easy to do that you're grumpy as well just no, but it's rain. Tr- it's, I, I know what it is I know what it is but, but it's true this is this is the problem I mean it, it's 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 clear as day like I don't know what the what the maybe the maybe the rules should be that you can't handle it in your own half or something can't handle it in your own half. So it's soccer in your own half in Gaelic football. Well, there has to be some way to make it more difficult to just, you know, knock the ball to each other in your own half. Yeah. Which make, you know, which is, it's difficult for the other team to get the ball off you. You can do it. It's like, I mean, you can also, you can obviously do that in soccer as well. But it is easier to get the ball off you. You know, or it's more difficult to keep it under control. I see what your, I see what your issue is here, Ken. 
And even rugby is more is is asking more on a technical level from the from the players. Your issue is you're concerned, you're worried. You know the Reuters are back. They're back winning trophies. They're on the medal trail. They're on Dublin's tails. For next I saw year. they won the uh, Donald O'Cusack trophy. The ta- <laughs> the Touching Cup back home. And it's What's he called it again? Of the County Meath. Second rate for- Grand National for also runs. Yeah, something along those. Lines. You better get it right, Ken, if you're going to say it, because even though. Joanne Cantwell got it right. He still told her she got it wrong. Don't misquote. So we might be misquoting slightly, but uh, don't make me read out Donegal Cunvi's email a third time, by the way, Ken. The reason Mead is the home of the Talton Games is the Talton Talton Games were first held in Telltown, County Mead. That was the email yeah. that Donica sent last year and then resent this year. But we, yeah, because I forgot it. But I remember that he's, I remember the rem, the reminder. And we have got the old gang together today to talk about all this Gaelic football. Anti-Dublin bias is the biggest load of bollocks. That's right. Oshin and Flynn together again on the podcast today to hear our coverage of some of the many other summer sporting events previously mentioned, including the Republic of Ireland's World Cup opener against Australia this Thursday. You will need to be a member. Secondcaptains.com, five or a month plus fat. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Here's a punditry combo you haven't heard for a while on the Second Captain's Podcast. Ushin McConville, how's the form? Owen, how are we? Good, good. Paul Flynn, how are things? Very well. All the way from Portugal. Yeah, you're so keen to be reunited with Ushin here that you're talking to us from your holidays, so fair play to you. Yeah, you see, you have to commit to these things. You know, not gonna wear, you can't just go on holidays and then just say, you know, I'm going to leave a WhatsApp group or I'm just not going to join the pod. Like, it's just, it's either you're in or you're not in. That's the way this I live. This is like, what it's anyway. all about. Yeah, this is it. This is the leadership qualities that you've been telling us about over the years, Paul. We're seeing it in action here. <laughs> I like it. Ushin, can we get the nasty stuff? Is this, stuff me, is this yeah. me back in for good? Well, listen, this Murphy is a go, trial. Murphy gone. Consider this. Hey, like, yeah, Let's get rid of the two more. <laughs> <laughs> Ushin, we have to get the nasty stuff out of the way here, right? There's a question yeah. that it's, it's not comfortable for me to ask, but I just feel journalistically it's, it's important. How did you not manage to score a single goal at the Fair Play Cup? How did we well, not manage to score a single goal at the Fair Play Cup? Well, I, I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to being assisted a lot better yeah. than I was done on <laughs> the, that day. The service plus, wasn't great. Plus Owen, come on. Let Murphy hit free kicks. I know, I know. That's a, that's a joke. It was uh, quite... quite... I, have a, I, have an, I have an eight-year-old still asking me why he didn't take that free kick. This is what I'm saying. Quiet drive home, I'd say, with your kids. 
who've been who've grown, disgusted, disgusted, having, disgusted having grown up on ne- stories of your your sporting my prowess. 11 year old said never ever give me instructions on a football field again <laughs> <laughs> after that shambles of a performance oh man listen we've got a Kerry Dublin final Paul um, just about were Kerry a bit poxed to get through yesterday yeah yeah they were yeah um it, I was flying over at 11, half 11 yesterday morning and um, actually on the flight with a World Service member. Shout out to Eamon next, sitting next door to me. Um, absolute sound man. And we we're chatting away. He's a big fan of the, of, the, of the Second Captain's podcast and a loyal fan too, you know, so he deserves the mention. Um, the, but, but got off the flight through the airport, as you can imagine, with three kids under three carnage and not trying to tell the wife that all the reason the only reason I wanted to get there as early as possible was that I could get to see the match at four o'clock but we arrived at the location and turned on the TV and the ball was thrown up it was a gift so I got the whole game anyway and uh, yeah it was it was do you know what it was what I expected you know I I said it like um, all week that I fancy I, I fan, not fancied I just reckoned Derry were going to rattle them and they did you know and I didn't see it to be that big of a shock I don't think you know Kerry have been you know outrageously good that they deserved to be going in and the way people were maybe saying this was a was a um, a foregone conclusion it wasn't in my eyes um, Derry were excellent throughout the whole game and um, and they'd be kicking themselves. You know, it's not a case like the Monaghan game where I just felt that they ran out of gas and that Dublin were the better team. I think Derry were, would be absolutely raging today. You look at that second half performance, I think they shot 20% from play. Or sorry, yeah, 20% from play, three of 14 shots. They had so many opportunities. You think about the goal opportunities that McKinnis had. He did outrageous. Like it was an unbelievable save. And you're talking about a quarter of a ball, and that's only flicking off, um, um, flicking off the goalie's hand and going in. And um, we could go four points up, and I think they would have closed it out from there. I just think, yeah, I think Kerry were poxed, if I'm being honest, you know. And absolutely good character shown at the end to, to, to take take the opportunity of some 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 fairly dodgy refereeing decisions that went their way let's be quite honest about it like they were soft you don't get you don't typically get them in semi-finals and the one on Stephen O'Brien and the one on Clifford to be honest with you I thought the both of them were soft and um uh, and then they took then the turnover chaos with, with Clifford you know I'm somewhere in here but that Clifford turn it over like well we never thought you were going to see that and then Rogers turn it over you're like what the hell is going on they're both just they've lost the they've lost the plot here and then Clifford just clips it over he was he was insane yesterday but yes Kerry were poxed in a summary how did they get through it then Ush? Clifford and Shawnee O'Shea got 13 points between them I think the one that Paul's talking about when the when the ball was turned over twice in the middle of the field, tells you tells me everything I need to know about uh, about how that game transformed Kerry as a unit as the game went on. And the reason why I say that is because when David Clifford went through, um, when David Clifford had that ball and he was going through, he had bodies left and right, and he locked and he went, "Nah, I don't trust any of you." Actually, <laughs> yeah, on the day in particular. And he said, if I, if anybody's going to do this, I'm going to do it myself. And and that's the way it seemed from fairly early on in that game. I, I thought really that the the, the uh, we we mentioned it was the supporting cast yesterday. I mean, like the 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 bench three of them in the second half. Um, 
like going into a final that that forward lane needs a massive shake up but like really none of them stepped up at all in any way shape or form and uh and why did they get over the lane two boys basically uh like i think they're out of it in the middle of the field as well uh, gavin white definitely deserves a lot of praise um uh, gavin crowley in the in the corner uh decent game as well um other than that you know they 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 won that game off the back of of just sheer brilliance from from the two lads and to be honest that's probably as much pressure as i've seen clifford on though there's one point he kicked in the first half that's just completely outraged just because he's no back lift and uh chrissy mckeague is all over him he's no there's no separation whatsoever and he's another man coming in to try and get a block in so that's essentially why they won the game because they have a superstar Two superstars, really. A superstar who was willing to work back in a way that his own manager said he'd, he'd never seen him do before uh, towards the end of that game, Paul. Yeah, and to be fair, like I, I know we're saying like that they were... I I, I felt that Kerry were, were going to find a way to win. I just felt it was going to be a dogfight and they were going to find a way to win, but they were going to be rattled. And it was, it was exactly how it played out. But they found a way to win. And that was led by Clifford with the work rate. Like... That shoulder he hits on McGuigan. You know, I've never seen Clifford ever hit a shoulder before in, in, in his career, you know, and uh, whether it was a foul or not, it doesn't matter the, the, in, in, the, in the reason why I'm saying it. It was about him putting his body about the place, which I hadn't seen before. And to be fair to Kerry as well, in that closing stages, they, they, had, they had three blocks, you know, and I know some of them were actually silly shots, but... Um, like they were just forcing shots, but there he were. And there were a little bit of that was down to tiredness. But the blocks are always a signal of a team who are going to go just to the well. You know, you can easily just not block and it won't even be noticed, you know. And Stephen O'Brien, you know, getting some big hits, big tackles in. So that was the, the finding the way to win. It wasn't classy. Um, but it's going to be um, a really difficult one for Derry to, to, to take. You know, I heard him in, afterwards in the, in the post-match interviews and they'll, they'll, they'll try to tell themselves they've learned a lot from this, they'll take that experience, but they're, they're probably not going to get an opportunity like that again, you know, or, or it'll, be far, it'll be hard to get back to that point. If they, they might get that opportunity again, but to have Kerry on the ropes like they did and to have so many opportunities to, to put them to bed, you know, um, that it's going to be very difficult for them to take. But back back to what Oshin says, like you can if you can shut out the two boys, which is an insanely difficult thing to do. Like you see in Chrissy McKay, yes, you know, Chrissy's been carrying a knock, we all know that. Um but still he was right tight. He touched tight, you know, and um he just gets like that shimmy Clifford does onto his left. And you know he can go to his right either, right? It's like you know, remember Sean Cavan used to do the same. Like he shoots the minute he turns. You know, you don't even get a chance to actually... So the, if he, Chrissy was getting the right side. He, he guessed where he's going to go on his left, obviously. But by the time he had the ball to the foot and over the bar, Chrissy hadn't got a chance to move, extend his arms out. It's outrageous ball to uh, foot speed that allows him to get that shot off. And you can... He makes it look simple, so you can underestimate it. It's an it's insanely difficult thing to do. He's he's an absolutely outrageous footballer, um, and it's days like that when you actually when it really sinks into me how good he is because you're seeing how tight that game was. Like you know, being in those games to, to get a ball is hard, to get a, a, a square foot of space is hard, and he just makes it look like you know he's he's just it's just easy, you know. Um, 
And big shout out to Sean O'Shea too in that second half because in games like that when you're getting tagged, when you're getting really physical pressure on you, it takes a lot of character and a lot of discipline and patience to wait until your chance comes rather than forcing it. You know, he got a lovely score in the second half. I've got two very close um, off one another in the second half. And that's like, you're, you know, that's a real good sign of a player. Like, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting man-marked, right? I'm not getting a yard here. But when I get that shot, I'm going to take it. And he took two lovely ones. And they really, really needed them at that point too. So, and the, the thing I loved about the second one he kicked was he got straight back into position. They were had four glads in the full forward line and their kick out, um, kick out against Lynn's strategy. And he was the one who was bringing the energy. He was the one who was saying, get your shape, get your attitude right. And they won that kick out straight off the bat. And that was the first of a couple that they, th- they eventually turned Lynch over. Um, which was the winning of the game. It, 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 there are the margins. That's all there was in this was a, you know, a couple of, um, kick out wins that really got them over the line. No, I, I just, I just think that you know that that point about you know Clifford whenever you know and Sean O'Shea whenever the games in the mountain. But I think when people are dishing out all stars this year and all stars are getting more difficult to dish out, but I think you need to look at the big moments in the games. You know when when the big moments happen, you know who's standing up, and that's the way I'd start dishing out all stars because, um, like those those like Kerry were gone yesterday. They were gone. They were out on my feet. You know, they just I didn't see where that next score was going to come from. I didn't see where that resolve was coming from. If you're playing 15 v 15 on, like, and you have three or four or maybe five players who are stepping up, it's very difficult when the other team are really on top. And, and Derry are notoriously difficult to peg back whenever in that situation. This is just play on the break. The big thing for me is, and Paul's talking about the regrets that that Derry will have. The big regrets that they will have is that this is what their this is their lifeblood. This is what they have. This is the system that they have created for themselves to go up the top end of the field to take the right options and to convert at those opportunities, especially when they're playing on the break. The fact that they were um, three points up. And they were able to turn carry over in in the opposite half, go up the field, and they were eighty percent efficiency at at, at half time, and they finished at what fifty or fifty two percent. That tells you everything you need to know about just how how poor they were in the second half in the at the top end of the field where it really really matters, and they got they got the ultimate punishment. Sometimes you know when you're in that situation, you might be able to see it out in some way with four points in 39 minutes of, of a championship match, it's not going to cut the mustard. And uh, and and Kerry just... And the other thing, you know, you're talking about, can you double up on... Of course you can double up on him. Uh, but I would imagine when Derry sat down and said, will we double up on him? The one thing that they would have thought is, first of all, you know, a lot of what we're, we're about is uh, is numbers is a numbers game, getting numbers back in there, reducing the space that he's going to operate in. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, is on paper, I would have been afraid of the other, the other five forwards that they had. And rightly so with Sean O'Shea, Paulie Clifford never turned up, and the other three boys never turned up, Paul Ganey, um, Brosnan, and Abrams, uh, Darren Wynham. None of them, you know, give them anything at all apart from Stephen O'Brien when he came off the bench, but the turnovers and the pointy kick was left foot. None of that stuff is simple, but again, it's when 
that game was such a dairy game. <laughs> it was just absolutely carbon copy. If they were writing a script for that game beforehand, they would have written the exact script that they wrote. But at the top end of the field, you just need to convert. And all the way to the top, home was another couple of scores, and, and they were there for them. I know, Shane, you know, the, 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 the fact they've no bench plays a role in this, like, you know, you know, because they really needed someone to come on to clip them that one or two scores because they just were out on their feet. They, they worked so hard. Like, it was admirable how hard they worked. And that's, that's, that's why when you're right at the end, you make poor decisions or you make bad, bad uh, shot execution. But um, that's the difference that they're going to need. That's the learning when they do decide to reflect because they are right there. And I, you know, the, back to your point there, Owen, like if you go and decide you're going to put two guys on Clifford, like what Tyrone did, sometimes psychologically that's the worst thing you can happen for the collective anyway because it's nearly like we're changing our system one to suit him, which, you know, okay, it's David Clifford, but there's a confidence in backing your system. When you enter the, the, the game, you, you know we've played this way. You, we have a game plan that we believe. We, we back Chrissy. We back that we're going to get pressure around the middle third, that he's not going to get good supply into him. So the collective, you know, there's a, there's a, so you mightn't have got the, the overall performance. So I think with Clifford, you have to just let him kick a couple of points, right? Well, they're nine yesterday. Because if you can just, even him kicking nine points yesterday, Derry still should have won. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not like one player. It's very hard for one player to win you in all Ireland. If you know, um, you've got John O'Shea there, obviously coming in with a few. But so if you can just shut the rest down and just accept that he's gonna be, he's gonna get you, you know, eight points in the game. Mind you, he did it last year. You know, he did it in All Ireland final day last year, and looks like he's primed to do it again. So maybe I, I know ideally they'd have a lot more than that, but. It might just be enough against a Dublin team that that is not a complete team either. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it will. And then you're saying kudos, and then you're standing up and tipping your hat. This lad is is outrageous, right? And he'll have won them two All Irelands, mm. you know. And um, he's just a, there's a gulf between him and anyone else I've seen. And like I was look looking forward to seeing McGuigan, you know. And the first half was perfect. McGuigan was electric, you know, because I just think this guy gets he's nearly underrated and. Um, even though he gets plaudits, he's still underrated. You know, he doesn't get anywhere near the same plaudits, and he has to de- do it in you know more difficult conditions and environment in in uh, Ulster Championship, and he just still clips the nine points. So, um, but yeah, and he was he was he was, he was he had a great day yesterday. But then you just see the difference in class. You know, Clifford is outrageous. I thought the dairy manager was interesting here on Mina afterwards. So she, and he said there's been a lot of commentary about our style of play. A lot of that is fair, but that also created an opportunity for us because Kerry might have looked at it like that as well. Well, Owen, did, did you, what did you expect? Like, what, like when I was talking to Michael Murphy before the game, he said I, I expected Derry to hold the ball for two and three and four minutes. It was thirteen and a half minutes before you were even able to draw breath. It was just popping yeah. around the field. If I remember the first play was a 13 and a half minutes where Kerry got all the bodies into it and somebody actually took a breath and they passed the ball across the field. But, like, the expectation from what we got at the weekend was not what we had envisaged before the game. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest about it. I mean, it just took on a life of its own. And, like, I, I do. I, I love having a good old piss and moan about, about Gaelic football. But the weekend was 
to, to be there and pulling you there on Saturday and just to be there and sample the atmosphere and and like people talk about in our day we did and you kicked the ball and people telling me that you know but like these lads are operating at a at a, an extremely high level and even like I know we probably talk about Dublin but like even Cormac Costello uh, at the weekend not one ball went into him where he didn't win it first time. And that, for me, is how he has improved this game. And that's how, at the weekend, for me, Dublin won the game. Which was simply down to how, um, when that ball went into him, he snared it first time, and it gave him a world of opportunities. And it was the same at the far end, but McManus in the second half. The same thing we're after talking about with Clifford. And once a forward now has the ball in his hands in that situation, he dictates everything that is going on. And for me, like the pressure that these guys are under and still being able to win that ball. And I know people look at it and go, well, kicked a couple off his left, he kicked off his right. He doesn't have them opportunities unless he's able to snare the ball first time. Also, they, also in the, in the weather, O'Shea, not exactly generous yeah. weather conditions for trying to catch the yeah. ball. Like the one Clifford caught on the hop. Do you remember that one in the first half? Just bouncing yeah. into his chest. Like That's hard enough, I would have thought, on a dry day. But he does that and then does his little shimmy and then finishes it off. Yeah, and, and Costello's first score in the game the other day. Yeah, we just him. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, the, the one thing about Costello is he did get a lot more separation than uh, than, what, than what Clifford was getting, but still, he still has to convert, and he converted in the big moments, and that's not to be underestimated either. Like, so, and, like, the just the whole weekend, as I say, I love a good uh, piss and moan about it, but the whole weekend as, as, a, as a whole was, like, that was just, there was just so much quality. Yeah, in it, I, it was, I, I was, was surprised. Paul, I was mentioning this at the top of the show, I was talking to Dublin fans afterwards, and a lot of people were pissing and moaning about the game. They thought it was fairly dire stuff. I mean, I, I, I don't know what more you can want from a match like that than the smaller team being so competitive for so long. And in fact, if anything, it was Monaghan in the first half who were the ones getting into better attacking positions, getting into better goal-scoring positions and not taking their chances. Okay, they, they ran out of gas. Dublin had a stronger bench. All those things happened. But I I don't know. It just feels like every game like that is overanalyzed for how good or bad it was. When it was, it was For 60 minutes, it was good entertainment, I thought. Oh, listen, I'm totally with Oshin here. Like, they were two of the best games of football I've seen in years. And you can, you know... You can listen to a fans and then they say, they say last week when or two weeks ago when Dublin played against Mayo in that second half, that's 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 excellence, right? What like I was I was mesmerized on Saturday night Saturday with the the condition of the lads, how touch tight Monan were. And you kinda had to be there to see how aggressive they were, how in the Dublin lads' faces they were. And then vice versa. You know, like it was just a sheer battle of will, sheer battle of conditioning. Um, focusing on your job. It was outrageous. And then I'm 36 years of age looking at three lads taking on the field from Monaghan who are the same age as me doing, the, doing that. And I'm like, this is outrageous and it needs to be celebrated. Like, the first half was exactly what one Monaghan would have wanted, you know, but it was still intriguing. It was still interesting. It was still engaging. You couldn't take your eye off it. I think, I don't know what people want. Do they want just goals and points galore? I, you know, I, I, but, but that's, this is football. What we've just seen the last two days and it's as good as it gets in relation to modern football, in relation to intensity, physicality, 15 men forward, 15 men back. Like, it was, it was from my eyes, they were they were two unbelievable showcases of our games. And um, back to Saturday night, in relation to the Monaghan performance, like, 
it's not pity, it's not condescending, it's not patronizing. It's it, to say that they they put in some shift. You know, I think there was a lot of narrative going on around that. They were just a good bloody team who who absolutely nailed their game plan, who 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 set up an ambush against Dublin, who who didn't tactically set up the way they set up every game, and they went man to man. And Dublin couldn't couldn't deal with it. It wasn't like Dublin were playing bad, you know. There was a, probably Dublin were doing okay, you know. They were just struggling against a, a really quality side. And I was so impressed with Dublin in the second half, in the third quarter. They get the t- quarter people probably relate to D- Dublin putting in big shifts. Dublin were doing well. They just could not break it down. And sometimes Jim Gavin used to always to have this analogy that like you just got to keep on hitting the same point in the in the castle wall, and eventually it'll crack. You know, eventually it'll give. And that was what I was so impressed with the resolve and the character of the Dublin lads, that they just stuck at it, that they kept to the principles of play. They kept probing. They In the in the third quarter, they'd get a turnover brilliantly, go down to the other end of the field, and Monaghan scrambled defense, would get a block, would get a hand in, would get a shut, shut out. It was, it was just a really quality game, but then they just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And I go back to the 63rd minute, I think it was, when it was Jack McCaffrey's score. Well, first to start with Fento's score in the corner, which was just off the charts, nearly like a Clifford score yesterday in relation to winning the ball, sliding on his knees to get it. He had, um, was a Lavelle up on, on all over him. And then he had um, someone else from Monaghan coming in on him as well. And he got the shot off in with no time, and it goes over the black spot. Then we get the man, the Mannion free for the pickup because of the Dublin pressure on the far end of the fi- far side of the field. But the next score after that was the first time they won a kick out off begging, and it was a little bit like the Lynch situation yesterday. Opposition kickouts in them moments are so critical. Dublin were going after begging like hell for the third quarter, and they could not get him. He's he's just so good. Like his kickouts are outrageous. And they eventually got him. And it was like this aha moment. And the whole team just went at it. And then they executed an unbelievable score where they went down one corner and then they got it across and looked like Jack had a lot of space. But that was only because of the work that was done on the other side of the pitch where they probed into the corner, two passes, and Jack pops it over the bar. And that's when I said, this is over. And then there was only two points in at that stage. But I just knew that Dublin were going to feed off that. And I think they won the next kick of off begging too. But like... What yeah, what a game ball, Saturday. I had a buzzing, you know, and I, I I did chat to somebody afterwards, I think it was uh Alan Brogan and he wasn't into the first half and I was like, Yeah, but the overall game, the second half, like you just have to take it, you know, it all in and realise that that was, you know, um, a really good game ball. What about the Dublin performance, Oshin? Uh I think I think Dublin found out a nice little bit about themselves. Um in that uh when it was really, you know, put up to them that they were able to find the answers and I think they'll they'll find a lot of solace in that uh, and you know what over the weekend the two, two games there's so many similarities between the two games you know the last couple of kickouts in the game and uh, you know how, how both teams finished and you know Rock coming on for one team and McCaffrey and Kenny and, and obviously uh, Stephen O'Brien having that uh, having that spell for for Kerry, but uh, I think Dublin will be very pleased if I was if I was in that Dublin management team. That's exactly the way I want to go into an All Ireland final. Uh, I think it was a very accomplished performance because I think they played against a team that got ninety nine point nine percent of what they wanted to do right. The only thing that 
Mullen didn't do is they didn't convert those couple of goal chances and couple of goal opportunities that they that they had. The McInnesby one probably sticks out for me because that was one where he definitely his first instinct was to go right and pass the ball and he 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 he, uh, he had another thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he had to go right, he would have went to O'Hanlon who would have had you know half a goal aim at him. I'm not saying he couldn't have missed it, but it was a very, very scorable chance. Um, you, you kind of felt like they had to go ahead at some stage, Oshin, either during that period or in the second yeah. half, and they were still just get a point or two ahead and then really test the double medal. Yeah, and even the black card situation, you know, where Dublin won that period, like 4-2, something like that. Like those, those are small little things in the game, but they're, they're absolutely crucial. Um, but I think the way Dublin, like, I, I love the way Dublin move the ball at the weekend and the reason why I love the way they move the ball is I thought there was a there was a nice bit of variety in it and I watched you know I've watched a lot of football over the last uh, three or four months where you know like a, even the Talchon Cup final was amazing because you know Down just refused to kick the ball absolutely totally and utterly refused to kick the ball they just ran the ball Meath got one ball to come off the post, went into the net, and they decided, I tell you what, we're just going to keep kicking it. And that's what they, that's what they did until obviously somebody grabbed them with a scruff of the neck and said, listen, lads, it's it's lovely kicking it, but let's let's mix it up a little bit. And that's what I liked about Dublin at the weekend and the confidence in, in that in that in in those clutch moments, um, the confidence that they had set me back a, a number of years to when Paul and his, his boys were playing and it just looked it looked a lot more like that it looked a lot more assured and uh, like there's no way that that game was a seven point game but you know what Owen it was at the end of it mm. if you jumped off a plane uh, and you hadn't seen the game <laughs> you pull up you put on your phone you pull up the results and you see that you know, one seventeen to thirteen points. You go, wow, sort of expected the dumps to, to blow them away. I know that wasn't the reality of it, but that's that brings me back to the day that uh, the days played Kerry. Can't remember what year, Paul, but um, it was yeah. it was it was level going into thirteen. Almost, yeah, thirteen almost injury time. He's one by eight. Do you know what I mean? So it brings you sort of back into that into that era. The one conundrum that that Dublin have now is. Uh, I don't think McCaffrey will start. I don't think Dean Rock will start. But I'm wondering with Kenny start, and does that take away a little bit from them off the bench? I wonder where else that that yeah, thing off the benches. And that's what the other day, like you know, they didn't have as much bench impact because Kilkenny had to come in earlier. You know, um, obviously Jack did well, but. Um, it's amazing what can happen with one player missing with Bugler. Like he'll he'll most likely be back. I don't know. Uh, you imagine he'd be back. Um, and Scully has not been playing well, you know, to his standards. But I'd still start him. You know, I'd still start him because he's not going to make an impact like Kieran or something like that. So the other day it was probably perfect for Dublin in the sense that he got like he gets black. What well, was you know ideal to get a black card, but they could just sub him out then after twenty five minutes because they didn't want to risk him getting a second. But now you're right, um, and they are they they do look like they've they've figured out a lot of things. You know their principles of play are quite similar um, than what they would have been in, in the past. And I like I, I look in you know, a lot of talk about Cluxton coming back and it being a distraction and people not understanding this, but like. But yeah, but like I got that, and if you talk to if you listen to Paddy Andrews, and he'd be talking a good bit on the pod, his podcast about the same thing. 
if you played with Klucko, you'd understand that he was going to bring all of this other stuff rather than just being an outrageous goalkeeper and his kickouts being uh, outrageous. But like, yeah, I think well, with, the, with, the, with the clucks and stuff, it was just it was a little bit how I don't know. It was just de- de- a couple of things. It was like Desi talking about, oh, you know, he's back to help out with an injury crisis. You know, as, as though anyone thought. I know he's happened to be fair to his other goalkeepers there, but even they know once Klucks is back. He's back to play in all the big games. He was always going to be be a good leader. He's always, he's always going to play well. I mean, there is still the argument that would it have been better long term to stick with one of the other goalkeepers and to to grow something. You made your point at the time, Paul. That listen, in the short term, we have to try to eke out another All Ireland here. That's what they're doing. Like you know, a long term is not coming into the. That's what is actually quite. It's quite grasped me so much about this. It's actually so non-Dublin-like in, in many ways, right? It's it's actually Kerry-esque. You know, Kerry would do this type of thing. You know, they did it before, bringing back Mike McCarthy and a few others. Um, I think it was in 09. They smoked us that year. And, you know, the lads coming out of woodwork to come back and then they get their All-Ireland. There's that feel to this, which is very, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of saying, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And you say, I hell, hell would think about the long term. Just get, get an All-Ireland. Like, you know, there's that kind of feeling about this, which is, yeah, it's good and bad. But, the point I was making, Sarah, was regardless of what people's thoughts on the Cluxon thing is, it's the it's the standards that are being set now internally in training, but also tactically how they're being how they're playing. You know, it's it's improved considerably since he's returned. You know, and that's just that's his overall presence, it's his overall ability to be able to talk to the forwards, talk to defenders, you know, identify okay, lads, we're not transitioning the book. Whatever it is, he is bringing something extra to the to, to the fold. Um, so that's that's just you know it's it's, it's um, and then he was outrageous as you said Oshin like I just get like I can't get my head around this he's forty two like his kickouts like one over the sideline but like otherwise I think he got them all off and some of them were not easy they made it look easy and I keep going back to this point last point I make here lads it's not all about the accuracy of the kickouts he drills lads on where they need to be where they need to stand where they need to run and that's what creates the pockets creates the channels and he's just a master at it and it was a joy to watch him the other day um, doing his thing well he when he was coming out I, I was building a lovely piece for for half time on every single kick out went to his left hand side and I was building a lovely piece because all I could see was this build up and build up of of kickouts and in the last three before half time, he kicked to the side that Begum was actually pushing on, and he kicked yeah. him like he kicked him within like he had about two meters to operate him. Now he spoiled me piece, but I didn't mind that mm-hmm. because uh, it's just the kick and the ability to kick into those areas. But also, oh, I, I, this is me now. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think that was a message to say. I tell you what, you can you can bring Begum up and you can push him over to that sideline blast. I'll still, I still have the ability to kick it in there, and there's a message in that. But that's that, and that, that was a tactic we used to always deploy, right? We used to identify who the sweeper was. So, especially when you're playing against Tyrone, um, Colin Cavan would always want to would always want to sweep. So, what we do is um, attack his wing just to make sure that he couldn't then get back to sweep. So we'd be and and confident. Cluxon uh, was so confident he'd pull off the kick, and he put it in a zone where Colin can't. He's in no man's land. You see him begging the other day. Once he went on his head, what did he do? Turn on his heels and run back to the goal. He didn't come near competing for it. He was bloody... So it caused their bluff, essentially. You know, and you can only do that if you can back your kick. Yeah. Conor McManus, O'Sheen, is... Uh, all the noises seem to be that he's going to be finishing up after this. And he, he uh, maybe took him a while to get going, but he contributed fairly well in the second half for Monaghan. Yeah, look, I was doing a, uh, an off for the match thing and... A cousin of mine's in, uh, on Friday night in, in 
in Castlebrainy. And I, I said it then that there's uh, he's in the right county because they appreciate him. They know what they have. There will never be another Conor McManus. There will never be somebody with the ability to kick in the way that he does um, and have the influence uh, just around the place that he does. And um, he's just... He's just one of those guys that come along and he has absolutely everything. And and personally speaking, I actually think that, you know, like the start in the other day, but the role that he was playing coming off the mm-hmm. bench for 25 minutes or a half or whatever it was, I still think he, he could maintain that role and play that role because if the likes of Darren Cuse or Keane Cuse or these boys go, like, I mean, they're talking about, you're talking about a rebuild, but you, can't, you have to have some, if you want to do a rebuild, you need some experience in there. And 100%. Uh, of the ones that, that I've seen at the weekend, I mean, he's the one that, that I think should stay around. I know it looked as if all of the, all of the vibes, but Vinny Corey and him will be quite tight. And I imagine that if anybody can talk him into another year, it'll be Vinny. Fingers crossed. Yeah, you think you think he should go again? Well, I suppose you can't say that. You know what's going. What, what. Selfishly for me, I want him to go again because you want to see him dance. You know, he's just it's it would the other day I was like applauding his points. You know, especially that one in the second half, the two actually, but the one where he just kind of pranced in and kicked it on the run and kept running. And I didn't even look at the ball; I just looked at him, and I was just like, well, I was like, well, that was just a thing of beauty. It was just so good, and I. You know, I got a good few dealings with him through the year, played international rules with him, went out with him a few times and good dealings with him when I was in the GPA. And I know I said this before and this, he's just one of those blokes where, it, you know, I think we're all lucky to have him, not just Monaghan. I think everyone feels like they have a part from him, obviously, um, because they, there's, there's no one who doesn't like the guy. You know, he's just that type of bloke, but fierce competitor. You know, nobody's as skillful as him. Like, you know, he's just a, absolutely baller and I just hope that he does go again I understand totally that's not just about physical sometimes it's about the mental it's about the resolves everything like that um, but it'd be nice just to see him you know keep playing and do exactly what she said just do 25 off the bench yeah not everyone is that delighted about the fact it's a Dublin Kerry final Chris Hutchinson emailed us in the other day giving out about the fact that in fairness all the people he gives out about aren't on this call at the moment so I thought he'd go through it all but essentially He's, uh, it's, it, it, you know, really, is this the one that the, the country wanted, this Dublin Kerry final? I don't know, but it's it, it should be exciting. Oshin, what are your early thoughts on it? Just can't wait. <laughs> I really can't wait. Like, I, I am looking forward. I'm going to go up to the Harlan. I am looking forward to the Harlan. I love the Harlan a lot, but uh, it trumps the Harlan. The fact that Dublin and Kerry are there. And, and look at Derry. Derry had a win that game yesterday. I'd still be looking forward to it. But there's, there, look at Regardless of where you're from, there's something special about about Dublin Kerry. It wasn't I. It wasn't the final that I had to have or that I felt as if was the right thing or anything like that. But I just now that it's here, like I'll embrace it because it it's just special. The rivalry special and the two teams are special and the two teams are in a very interesting mm. place right now uh, to be coming up against each other and uh, I just can't wait for it and. Do you know, it just it's it's one that just it'll go down to the la- again, regardless. It'll go down to the last ten minutes of the game. What what, what do you mean? They're in a, both yeah. in a very interesting place. Well, I just think that you know Dublin. You, know, you boys are talking about Dublin are trying to eke out that that one more, and and it feels as if you know if Kerry win this one, that you know they they, they would have an opportunity to 
to maybe dominate or, or win a couple more on top of what they won because because you know when they when you it's like United you know back when when you create that aura it's very difficult to shake and when their tails are up it's very very difficult to shake them so I just think that it feels as if you know a lot of those Dublin lads are giving it one more massive rattle and uh, and Kerry are trying to build another legacy of of uh, of, of winning all Ireland Paul yeah and like just to add to that like it is James McCarthy, Mick Fitzsimons, Stephen Cluxton are going for nine All Ireland medals. There's no one else in the history of the game who've who reached that, um, and who are the only people who do who've eight are in Kerry, and that does not come into the minds of players when they're in their preparation, right? But me as a player who played with those three, and anyone who was on that journey of any of those nine, I feel an attachment to that. So there's an, a legacy piece there that maybe you only get a bit sentimental about when you're a bloody old timer like me and you've not been playing for a couple of years. But I think that's important. And I know Kerry loved that type of stuff, you know, probably more than we ever did in Dublin because we didn't really understand it. And now that it's right there in front of us, I think that adds a different spark uh, to this one that if they get over the line, the three of those guys get nine All-Irelands, it's like mic drop for Dublin for this team you know and it feels that way for them because and then you've got these younger pretenders from not pretenders these younger guys from Kerry who are just who are chomping to set their own legacy who want to go back to back who want to win multiple All-Irelands because they have their own internal pressures in the county who have so many All-Irelands so that's what adds to spice to it you know and I need a I need a couple of days to get into the tactics on it because oh, I'm just yeah, uh, exhausted yeah, yeah. from the last yeah 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 well listen you're also on holidays Paul so we probably shouldn't be drilling you for tactics right now but no it is, it is I think I don't know maybe our emailer Chris is in step with everyone else or out of step it feels like it's uh, if you're involved with either county you're excited and Oshin that doesn't have skin in the game and he's excited about it I do want to ask you both just about Mead winning the Talchin Cup Paul is that uh, does that redeem their seasons do you think it does. It, it doesn't really... Yeah, it does. They recalibrated the season and um, probably in the middle of you're saying, okay, this is not good to be in the Telton. But then they get into it and then they treat it the right way. They get more games. They develop a squad. Very young team. I'm really impressed with this team and I'm actually impressed with what like the management team have done to be able to... That hurts me to say that because you know I'm not O'Rourke's biggest fan. But I still have to give credit where credit's due that they, they've done a good job to be able to accept that you can't just kick the ball. You can't just try and deploy all tactics in this new game and that down game on June 3rd they, they, they set up their defensive structure for the first time and they've evolved it and they're fighting and they're playing for their team they work right as excellent they want to kick the ball but the other day like Ushin said they realised that you can only do that when the space is there and the conditions are right so they adapted so well and then their running game in the second half Jack Flynn is an absolute baller. Connor Gray in midfield is a baller. Um, Jordan Morris up top, uh, Matthew Costo. So they've really good young footballers. As I could be happy enough looking at them walking up the steps of the Hogan stands, winning the Telton Cup and say fair dues, but that's it now. The fun's over. No Leinster Championships and no All Ireland's for me because I definitely could not deal with that. Oh, Shane. Well, I'd say I'd say Jack Flynn will have to go straight into the Monster Hurling Championship for the most fist pumps. Ever, <laughs> in a, ever in Crow Park the points he kicked for absolutely uh, amazing yeah. the high arc but, uh, I know so many of them yeah yeah but uh, the, the 
the celebrations and the fist bumps. He goes, class. And then he was so measured in the interview. He was like this real measured guy. I was expecting a John Milan interview. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but decent, uh, yeah, de- de- decent fortitude by the by me to, as Paul says there, Oshin, just to rally themselves because you know you you're 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 stuck in the Talchin Cup. You lose there, it's an absolute nightmare. Whereas you come through it like they did. You beat a decent team in the final. You know, it's it's not not well, not a bad scalp. Well, well, I think anybody who's who you know, the two teams are in the Talchin Cup just had a look at Cavan and see you know where they have gone from from last year. They exited the the Ulster Championship and the Wimper uh, out of the Talchin Cup. They're looking for a new manager now. So like, yeah, there's serious implications for uh, for losing the Talchin Cup. Uh, the other big thing for me was that uh, the narrative before the game was more or less how much down the win by all I listened to all week before the game was down was yeah. about down and you know how they were coming and all that and, and I felt before the game that that might sting a little bit in me than if they had anything about themselves look they're a long way off where you know where they would want to be ideally but there has to be an acceptance sometimes where you're at. Uh, and what it's going to take to build, and, and it'll help them. Uh, but there's 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 tough days ahead for, for me. But for for this weekend, they should they should enjoy it because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like they will they will be under pressure going into that game because you you know if you have media and the history and everything involved, you have to win that game. Oshin, great performance today. Julie noted. Paul, your commitment also noted down here as well. Crackens, thank you. Great thank to have you. you I'll be expecting a call. <laughs> Cheers, lads. <laughs> Thanks, lads. Thanks, lads. Good luck. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He's about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city. Knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. I must admit, I found it hard at times to concentrate on the Kerry game yesterday because it was happening right in the middle of an all-time classic Wimbledon final. Oh, my God. You didn't help, Ken, by repeatedly texting me, telling me how great the tennis was. <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. It was I know, absolutely I know. incredible. I'm trying to watch, but I'm also trying to watch this. I'm trying to watch the Gaelic football here, Ken. What a superstar. What did you say? What did you like about it so much? What, well, the guy, Algaraz. is such a superstar, isn't he? This is, guy is absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've never, I haven't seen a guy like this. I mean, the match, I remember watching the Federer-Sampras match you know, when, when Federer was like 20 or whatever and beat Sampras at Wimbledon. And I remember it a lot because <clears throat> at the time I was working for this company, which was like a, a kind of gambling type company. Mm. Um, where, and they hadn't launched yet. I think it was June 2001. They they hadn't actually gone live. It was around the same time Betfair was going live. This was like a, an alternative. Well, I mean, at the time, Betfair was was nothing. Small Nobody operation. ever heard of Betfair. Yeah. But a similar type of thing where the odds would change in real life and you could blah, blah, you could trade, you know. And as part of their, like, um, you know, getting ready to uh, go live or whatever, they had given everyone sort of pl- imaginary betting credits, you know. So I had, like, an account of, like, oh, yeah. 100,000, whatever, fake dollars uh, to gamble on whatever sporting events. And because it was, like, June there was no, or July, there's nothing but, like, golf or tennis 
and uh, <laughs> I remember that uh, that fucking game. I, oh, I basically well, you lost all my man. money. Okay, yeah. Well, of course, I was Sampras. I mean, I, I, I didn't like Sampras, but I'd never heard of this other guy uh, who turned out to be a good player. Yeah, he turned out to be okay. Um, and Alcaraz reminds you of a young Roger Federer, is what you're saying. Well, yeah, more, more Djokovic reminds me a bit of the way Sampras used to be then, you know? I mean, Sampras never, was never quite as dominant. We didn't... we. We didn't know what it felt like to be ground into the dust by someone's boot before Djok- Djokovic came along. Um, we thought we had a bad with Sampras. But, uh, and then obviously he wins the first set six score and you're like, okay, this guy has bottled it. Like you can't lose, you can't just give him a set. Yeah. Even though you're, you're gonna come back and play really well, you, you can't give him a free set and expect to not lose to Djokovic. Uh, and then that's exactly what happened. I was like, there was this, a stat, it was like he'd played 80 matches, been. Winning the first set at Wimbledon and won seventy nine. Um, there was also the tie break. He'd gone whatever twelve tie breaks unbeaten in the last, last Djokovic season in his Grand Slams, but he was beaten in this one with thanks to a World Service member again, or at least a World Service member's uncle, Fergus Murphy, the Irish umpire. Oh yeah, he gave a little time violation there to Djokovic. Remember, oh, hurry well. things up there, Novak. Oh, yeah. He's the time uncle violation. of Carl Trotman who has been on in the past bigging up his uncle. So well done, Carl. Well done to the entire family there. Well done to Fergus Murphy for helping to usher in this new era because that was a key point in the second set. I enjoyed Alcaraz's policy of moving the old man around a lot. Well, I, what the thing that amazed me about, and I don't really watch that much tennis anymore, primarily because it's dominated by like Novak Djokovic, who I just don't find that interesting. Um, although, to be fair, he is. like it, mm. As you know... Particularly in that in that game yesterday, because I just I I kept expecting him to win, and he is so like he's he is unbreakable. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's he just kind of keeps coming back. You know the way he's coming back in the fourth after his like, you know he went to the toilet for fifteen minutes or whatever. Which I just thought this guy is shameless. Like, yeah, Fergus Murphy should have followed him in there and given him another violation. Absolutely, he is shameless. You know, and completely broke the rhythm of the game, which at that stage was going uh, against him. Um, but the thing that amazed me about that guy, uh, Alcaraz, is the drop shots. Drop shots are amazing. I've never seen, I mean, okay, this is obviously the way tennis is, has gone now. But like, to, to be able to, like, to Well, be, I don't think everyone's doing that. I don't think everyone's hitting drop shots like him. A lot of forehand drop shots where he looks like he's a bit of whip a forehand cross court. And, just, and then he'll you know, just casually drop one in and it's like okay Novak you're 36 you got to choose which ones you're going to chase down here oh. Mr. Mr. Ch- best defensive player ever it was amazing but also the power and then the way that he was able to, to kind of swerve and kind of dips he was getting on these shots like he, he was like a combination of Nadal and Federer I thought his celebration so I thought his personality was brilliant he was really into it he was not intimidated at all a lot of time after especially after those drop shots where he disguised him so well that Djokovic just didn't have a hope of mm. even running for it he'd, he'd stare down a little bit and overdo some of the fist bumps and all that It was, not, which I think Djokovic also enjoys actually I think he likes when his opponent is doing that which made for a really good final yeah. in fact the two of them were having this really open but Djokovic was so rattled as well like oh, you course. know rattled like like he, he you know he was kind of you know doing the, the, the crowd obviously was with Alcaraz like overwhelmingly and Djokovic was kind of every so often, you know, oh, why aren't you coming for me? Or giving them it the, the cup tears. Um, maybe he was just there to, to look it, at a great yeah. game of tennis. But uh, <laughs> but Djokovic, you know, okay, he doesn't he doesn't want the he doesn't need the crowd to be you know on his side or whatever. And I guess he's used to them not being on his side. 
but he still really hates it. Like it still it still rattles him. Obviously, usually he's just not playing a guy who's as good as this other guy. So it's kind of like, well, I'm cr- I'm I'm crushing your boy. <laughs> Watch how I massacre your boy is what Djokovic you can usually turn around and say to the crowd. But in this case, it just he couldn't you know he couldn't get a handle on on Alcaraz. I mean the you know the tiebreak and then that game in the third set like the one the, that went down for nearly half an hour that was just absolutely incredible. So I don't know your man is uh, and then I was like oh wow this guy's the number one seed like oof, I, I kind of I missed his yeah no he <laughs> I missed he, his emergence. He, he has been touted he has been touted for a long time he is the U.S. Open champion he is the world number one uh, he he did flame out of that match admittedly with some sort of physical issues in the French Open against Djokovic, but talked quite openly after that about how he got too tense before that and I think cramped up and all this kind of stuff because of, because of the tension he felt, which is remarkable in its, itself that he would admit to that. It's not the kind of thing you normally hear sports people talking about. So fair play. He got that one out in the open and he obviously handled, even though he, went, he lost the first set 6-1, he had an unbelievable mindset yesterday. There was also plenty of mutual respect afterwards between the two. Djokovic, a gracious loser, the 36-year-old seemed to enjoy being called an old codger by his new 20-year-old nemesis. You know, I have to congratulate Noah. You know, it's uh, amazing to play against, against him. Uh, what can I say about, about him? It's uh, unbelievable that uh, you, are, you inspire me a lot. Uh, you know, I started uh, playing tennis, watching, watching you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> since, I, since I, I was born, you know, I, you... you <laughs> You, you, you already was winning tournaments. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's amazing. Probably you, you are in a better good shape than, than me. Uh, you, say, you just say that the 30, 36 is the new 26, and you, you, make, you make that happen, uh, you know, in, in real. But, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Having joshed with the king of tennis, Alcaraz showed himself equally adept at having the lols with the king of Spain. It's special to play, uh, you know, I'm from uh, royalty, uh, you know, the Prince of Wales, uh, everyone, Philippe, I'm really proud, you know, uh, that uh, you, you are here supporting me. Uh, I, uh, well, I played in front, in front of you just twice, twice that I won. I hope you, you are coming more. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, it doesn't take much to get a big laugh out of the Wimbledon crowd after you've just won the title, won the gentleman singles. But he did well there, I thought. Yeah. I like him. I like Alcaraz in a way. I never quite warmed to his compatriot, Rafa Nadal. So well, really? Look forward to Alcaraz. Yeah. Nadal's not very variable, really, is he? He's a... I always liked more him. more to Alcaraz, personally. I, I always liked him. I find with tennis, like, uh, most of my... The, most the players I support, it's usually because they beat the players I don't like. Mm-hmm. And so, well, obviously, I had a grudge against Federer from the time I emptied out my imaginary um, uh, betting account on his surprise win over Sampras. And then he became very successful. And then he started wearing that white blazer. And how could you not be charmed by that? Well, I mean, I've, I've reacted violently against it. And so Nadal came along and, and you know, uh, destroyed Federer. And I loved, I loved him for that. Well, then you should love Djokovic even more. He put the final no, nails in the Federer cup. Djokovic, no, no. But this guy comes along and, and downs Djokovic. That was, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Marketa Vondrasova made Wimbledon history by becoming the first unseeded player to win the Wimble- the women's event as well. So it was uh, quite the goings on there in Wimbledon over the last couple of days. That's it for today. Thanks, Ken. Great to be back with you. Oh, thank you very much, Owen. It was good to see you too. World Cup, All-Ireland Final, British Open Golf. So much going on over the next few days. So have a think about signing up to the World Service. The Second Campus Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.